Welcome to SBC This Week. I'm Brandon Porter. Laura Erlinson is with me. We're glad that you're listening. Laura, it has been um, a week of preparation that I think is going to surprise folks when we talk about them, talk about what we're preparing for. Yeah, well, it, hap- it, it's, it sneaks up on us every year. Here it is. It's already time to get ready for the annual meeting. That's right. Yeah. So Registration's of- about to open. Mm-hmm. Just next week, pre-registration opens. Yeah, February um, 5th. Monday, February 5th. So go ahead and be thinking about that. And we are already in the middle of it, planning for our coverage and who who's going to help us with that and travel and all of that, all of those things. Yeah. So those those four days, um, the the day and a half for the pastors conference and then the couple of days for the annual meeting um, and then crossover before. So I guess technically five days that, that really there are Southern Baptist events happening in that city, there are, I mean, months and months of detailed work poured into those important days. That's right. Very detailed. I mean, uh, just almost down to the minute of who's going to be where and how long they need to stay to get what we need, at least our coverage of it. Now, of course, the meeting itself is its whole other thing that Mm -hmm. is way bigger than what we do, but yeah. Our coverage of it is so just down to the minute and detailed and planned out months in advance. Yeah. But it's absolutely. a lot of fun. It's it, it, I, I'm already starting to get excited about it. It's fun. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, there, you know, in, in the SBC building in Nashville, we are a part of the buzz from um, folks who are up on the seventh floor as they plan out the actual meeting itself and all the details and things like that of the meetings that, that go into prepare for that. So um, a lot happening, like like you said, Laura, just a moment ago, make sure you're going to sbcannualmeeting.net. Um, that's where the the information is, the links. Um, there, there are a number of things that are about to come online uh, for childcare, for pre-registration, hotel mm-hmm. registration's been on for a while, um, but th- there's a lot happening there. The Road to Indie videos are live, mm-hmm. so um, a, a lot going on as we ramp up and look toward June. Um, I was just noticing yesterday, I was thinking coming home from, from the office yesterday, how it's staying daylight longer. I know. I remember this particular day driving home. This has probably been 10 years ago, but I noticed the fact that I did not have to turn my headlights on the whole Mm -hmm. way home. And it was, it's like a revelation hit me. I got all the way home and I didn't turn my headlights on. And I thought, oh, this is a great day. Yeah. <laughs> the days are getting longer. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and we're kind of in the in that zone right now. It's very nice. Yeah. So definitely helps with the gray clouds. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, a busy week this week at Baptist Press and in the world of the SBC. Um, Laura, we want to jump right into it. And uh, the first place we turn is to Jacksonville, Florida, where SBC President Bart Barber was on. Um, I, I was going to call it a panel. I guess it could call you could call it a panel. Yeah, it's a, pan, a panel small between. Panel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He and uh, Heath Lambert, the pastor there at First Baptist in Jacksonville, um, had a discussion uh, last Sunday evening, and uh, it was a wide ranging discussion. Laura, it really was like a ninety minute conversation, and really less of a conversation as much as a Q and A was mm-hmm. really what it was. I mean, mm-hmm. Heath Lambert would just ask some questions, and Bart would just uh, Bart Barber would just talk about those questions and answer those questions. And so they talked about um, just a lot of uh, big topics in the SBC right now. They talked about um, sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. They talked about the cooperation group. Mm -hmm. Uh, They talked about the law amendment. They started out with just talking about uh, Barber's testimony and Mm -hmm. kind of how he met his wife and things like that. So that's just uh, was kind of a neat part of it. And then about 
evangelism. And um, I thought it was neat. Uh, something that uh, Barbara said was, don't say no for people to the mm-hmm. gospel. Make people say no for themselves yeah. to the gospel. And because uh, I, I think we can have a tendency to see someone's maybe outward appearance or or their political views or whatever and assume that they're beyond the reach of the gospel. And yeah. Barber said, no way, just yeah. uh, the gospel works for everybody. So that was interesting. Yeah. Um, he talked about, so in their conversation about sexual abuse, he talked about how when he was in seminary and he uh, he, t- he told this to Heath too. He said, uh, this is maybe the same for you. I don't know. He said, but when I was in seminary, I got taught nothing about how to handle sexual abuse in the church. It just wasn't something people talked about 30 years ago. And so what the SBC is trying to do now is help churches know, number one, how to prevent it, the steps you should take to prevent it, and helping them know at least when something does happen, who do you call? What do you mm-hmm. do? What's that first step that you take to help and who can help you do get through it? And so um, he he also addressed the uh, guidepost investigation from 2022 mm-hmm. and saying that what they what it found was they were trying to find or looking to find a time when maybe the SBC or the executive committee knew about abuse and did not report that abuse or helped or covered up for an abuser so that he could go on to another church or something mm-hmm. like that. And they didn't find that. They did not find any instances where the convention knowingly uh, facilitated abuse or covered it up. Yeah. But what they did find was that sometimes when a survivor would bring the to the attention of the executive committee or some leadership a case of abuse, then they did not handle that well. They didn't... Um, Barber said, I'll, I'll use his words. He said, yeah. they didn't want to hear that. Yeah. And they mistreated some of the people that were making those claims. So this is a really important quote from President Barber because he has been um, just very involved in this investigation and in this process um, as he served in this leadership role. Mm-hmm. And And let me just read that quote. It says, what the investigation found after looking hard to see if they could find a time when the convention or the executive committee knew about abuse and failed to report it or facilitated an abuser being able to continue to abuse, they didn't find any instances where the convention or the executive committee did that. And that's mm-hmm. what Bart Barber said to Heath Lambert there in that interview. Now, mm-hmm. to go back to what you said just a moment ago, he did go on to say that there were some instances where SBC and EC leaders, and here's where the quote kicks in, did not want to hear um, what uh, survivors were saying. Um, They did not want to hear that and mistreated some of those folks who were coming and making those claims. Mm -hmm. Um, So very important to to hear him say that um, Mm -hmm. and for us to to make note of that. Yeah, for sure. And so that was a good chunk of the conversation was about that issue. And then they also spent a lot of time talking about what we're one of the big things we're going to talk about in Indianapolis, and that mm-hmm. is the the law amendment, which is now technically, I guess, the law Sanchez amendment right. because it right. was, was changed a little bit in New Orleans. Right. Um, but Heath Lambert said by far uh, the number of questions, I don't think we said this before, but the questions that were asked were actually submitted by the congregation there at First Baptist Jacksonville. Right. And they had been soliciting those for, I don't know, a couple of weeks, maybe, or maybe longer than that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But he said by far the most the issue that got the most number of questions was this issue mm. about this amendment, which, of course, deals with 
women in uh, a pastoral role. Uh, so Barber uh, has has made it known that he doesn't think the amendment is necessary and doesn't support the amendment. And he says, this is his quote, the SBC already requires that churches limit the office of pastor to men without the law amendment. And then he referred to the votes in New Orleans to disfellowship um, those th- two churches mm-hmm. based on this very issue, very lopsided votes. Um, so he said he agrees with law's theology, but he doesn't think the amendment is necessary because the SBC already has a mechanism by which to deem churches not in friendly cooperation. Uh, and because it could be used against churches that that have complementarian uh, theology and yet might have um, a woman on staff who has the title of pastor or uh, or he, he feels like it could be uh, misused, maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so they talked about that and then kind of led into talking about the cooperation group, which we've talked about a lot on this podcast, that the uh, kind of how do we define what is, quote, friendly cooperation in the SBC? And he says, our constitution explicitly says that you don't have to agree with everything in the Baptist faith, the message to be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. And it's almost as if he was saying that the language is vague intentionally so that when there is confusion or when there is uh, a question that the messengers get to vote on those issues rather than some other third party making a decision about things. So it's just was really helpful as we go into Indianapolis thinking about the cooperation group's report, thinking about the law amendment and those things that we're going to be uh, kind of reckoning with or wrestling with there in Indy to um, just kind of inform yourself. Like, what what are these issues? How can we think about them so that we can be prepared to vote on them? Um, another important thing that, that we were able to share this week was uh, Mike Keybone has um, let it be known that he will be nominated for uh, Southern Baptist Convention president in Indianapolis, Lord willing, and uh, Victor Chayarisavon, uh, pastor from California, uh, shared that, um, his intention to nominate Mike Keybone earlier this week. He said, Mike Keybone is the real deal, a, de- a leader who loves the Lord, loves the SBC, and strives every day to make it better. Um, and so uh, some kind words there from uh, Pastor Victor uh, toward Mike Keybone. Yeah, you might know uh, Keybone from, he's, of course, the pastor of First Baptist Lawton, Oklahoma, but he's been on the SBC Executive Committee since 2021, and he's the vice chairman of the ARITF, mm-hmm. our Abuse Response or Reform uh, Task Force. So, And he was also a member of the Sexual Abuse Task Force um, from a couple of years ago. So you might have heard my, of Mike Keybone. So that makes two SBC presidential candidates. Last week, we talked about Clint presley in north carolina that's right so we'll see if there are any more forthcoming we yeah don't know. yeah very good uh trustee meetings are happening this past week lifeway met out in sunny and probably warm phoenix yeah. arizona <laughs> <laughs> it's actually sunny in nashville today for the first time in a while so. and pretty warm actually <laughs> I, know. You know? I know i'm loving it yeah i mean you know considering yeah. that we were in the single digits a few weeks ago we'll uh-huh. we'll take the balmy 30s so, i will yeah Uh, So Ben Mandrell, president of Lifeway, laid out a vision uh, for the next several years there at Lifeway. Uh, The 2030 vision uh, is what he called it, taking uh, Lifeway into the next decade and beyond. The uh, CFO, Joe Walker, CFO of Lifeway, said that the first quarter of the 2024 fiscal year, Lifeway is well ahead of the previous year's first quarter revenue. And he said, 
that uh, is maybe due in large part to growth in uh, Bible sales, curriculum, short-term Bible studies, VBS, and uh, other supplies. The trustees heard updates from the new Hi-Fi curriculum, which is uh, doing well, and early registration for summer camps is doing well. Um, I thought uh, this was interesting that Mandrell said that he he's looking to empower church leaders. Mm-hmm. That's uh, kind of the vision that he has set so that they aim to, quote, build tools that add confidence and strength to those leading in the trenches of the local churches. And the goal is right now they currently serve around 100,000 church leaders, uh, but their hope is that by 2030 they can triple that number. Mm. So I thought that was an interesting yeah. uh, goal and very yeah. ambitious. So we'll see. Absolutely. He said, we want to undergird those spreading the name of Jesus and growing disciples in their communities. And uh, he said it really wasn't about revenue. Well, revenue is important, but if we meet the goal of of tripling the number of people that we can serve, then, of course, the revenue would take care of itself, basically. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Uh, Speaking of serving church leaders, uh, specifically have pastors in mind here, uh, ministers, uh, Guidestone released this week their ministers tax guide, uh, the 2024 minister's tax guide for 2023 uh, returns. It was prepared by Richard Hammer. It's available at guidestone.org slash tax guide. Um, it includes highlights. Um, I, I just have a hard time having that word in a story about <laughs> it says it says tax. its most popular annual publication is the oh, tax I believe guide. that I do believe that but. I'm like what other publications are exciting for coming out of Guidestone I mean yeah. I guess depending on how you're your retirement plan is doing it could be exciting or it That's could be true. really sad i don't yeah. know <laughs> yeah i'm sure it's very popular i'm just not sure about using the word tax highlights you know That's, uh... <laughs> well hans dilbeck uh guidestone president said ministerial taxes come with their own unique issues and challenges and this annual guide provides the information to help ministers as they yeah. prepare to file yeah, so there we go sorry to bring it down but yeah it's time okay. to do your taxes everybody that's right tax highlights at 11 y'all tune yeah. in we'll see you there So speaking of uh, tax credit, uh, the ERLC has uh, let us know about the child tax credit and some movement on that this week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they joined several pro-life organizations and advocates in calling on Congress to pass an expansion of the child tax credit, which I did believe did pass after we ran this story, maybe Mm -hmm. the next day, um, Mm -hmm. and at least one one house of Congress passed it. Um, And it will benefit low-income families and children. Hannah Daniel at the ERLC, the policy director there, said she was proud to to sign this. It it was a modest but significant step toward policy that wraps around vulnerable families. Uh, They want to make sure that mothers, fathers, and their children have every tool and resource available to choose life and support families. And uh, the child tax credit expansion would stop penalizing parents for having more than one child by treating all children equally. Um, It would adjust the child tax credit for inflation so that more people could receive tax relief. And it means uh, as the cost of having a family increases, so will the resources people have to make ends meet and provide for their kids. Mm -hmm. And so we'll be looking to see kind of how this goes in the next few weeks and whether it goes all the way through. But the ERLC has signed on to that. Okay, very good. Um, Also, uh, the DR. Uh, leaders and volunteers from all across North America uh, got together in Newark, Delaware this week at Ogletown Baptist Church 
for their roundtable. And um, just a, sounds like it was a, a great time for uh, reflection and review and, and building and training. And um, so, uh, yeah, so we, we're a, a so lot of yellow shirts, them. probably. Mm-hmm. A lot of, uh, there were 200 Southern Baptist DR work leaders and volunteers there. And I'm, I wonder if they like all have a day where they all wear their yellow shirts or something. That'd be cool. Probably any pictures of it, but I would yeah. like to see that. Coy Webb, who is the crisis response director for Sin Relief, he said it was a wonderful train uh, turnout, and one of the highlights of this year was an anticipated strengthened partnership with the Salvation Army. So, if you don't know this, the we have a very tight relationship already with the Salvation Army and Southern Baptist Disaster Relief. And my understanding is that the Southern Baptists cook the food, and then the Salvation Army delivers the food to people, like in the wake of a disaster, tornadoes, okay. and things. And so we'll see, be interesting to see what, how that relationship is, is deepened in the future. He said it will be beneficial to both organizations and we're very excited, Webb okay. said. So just be, I guess, stay tuned for that. We'll see what that is. Laura, this week was also the International Religious Freedom Summit. Uh, House Speaker Mike Johnson, who is a Southern Baptist, spoke there. Um, he said, economic prosperity grows when people are allowed to follow their faith and freedom flourishes where freedom is allowed. Um, he, he went on to say, when religious freedom is taken away from the people, political freedom soon follows. Uh, this is an event where the ERLC was a convening partner and um, their policy associate, Allison Cantrell, was there. Yeah, she said Southern Baptists have a rich history of advocating for a government that safeguards the ability for us to live according to our deeply held beliefs found in scripture. And so it's important for ERLC to take part in this event. Uh, She said, as we recognize infringements upon religious liberty, they ultimately inhibit the work of our missionaries and churches in fulfilling the Great Commission. And so uh, not only is is religious freedom important just for its own sake, but it's important for the mission endeavor as well, because the more persecution there is, the less likely for the gospel to spread oftentimes. Mm. Um, and so the Johnson, uh, Mike Johnson, who you mentioned earlier, he spoke very specifically about religious liberty in places like, or the lack of in places like North Korea, Myanmar, Nigeria, Nicaragua, Cuba, China. Uh, he talked about the Uyghur Muslims in China specifically. Um, and, and now the, rise of anti-Semitism that we're seeing uh, and out and anti-Palestinian sentiment that we're seeing in the wake of October 7th. And so really important conversations there at that summit. And there probably will be even more stories next week from Baptist Press out of that event. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that also leads us, Laura, into a story um, based about the, the Gaza Baptist Church. It was established by Southern Baptist in the mid-1950s. It's the lone Baptist church in Gaza, and it was heavily damaged, we learned this week, uh, due to the, the war between Israel and Hamas. Um, the, the Texas Baptist men are preparing to return to the West Bank in mid-February, trying to be mm-hmm. a, a source of help there. Um, they're, they're looking to take about 20 folks with them uh, to continue. And uh, Laura, we, we know that Send Relief is continuing in their work. Yeah, so the Texas Baptist men has been over there several times already mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. wake uh, of this war and is sending another team, like you said, later this month. Send Relief um, has been there the whole time as well, providing uh, just food and all necessities for the people just in the wake in a war zone now whose lives are totally turned upside down. Uh, Jason Cox with Send Relief said that the Christian community there continues to be a light in the darkness and Mm. Send Relief's work 
uh, through long-term partnerships and churches in the region is crucial to provide much-needed support, but also allowing them to show the love of Christ to neighbors who are suffering. So um, just it's easy to kind of forget that it's even going on as you kind of just go about your life uh, every day. But uh, there are brothers and sisters suffering very much, and there are Southern Baptists there attempting to help. Yeah, absolutely. So we want to continue to support them and pray for them and do all we can to, to come alongside. Uh, Laura, we both have uh, one thing we have in common is that we were both blessed to grow up in Christian homes. Mm-hmm. And so um, out, outside of your parents, um, who who is a, a childhood Christian influence that, that comes to your mind often and quickly? Uh, well, the principal of my Christian school okay. that I went to. And of course, my pastor growing mm-hmm. up and grandparents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a lot of. I'm very thankful. A lot of really good Christian influence in my life as a child. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. So grandparents would definitely be high on that list. And um, um, I I was in Christian school as well for a part of my elementary education. And I remember a specific third grade teacher who uh, really the the Lord used her to instill the value of missions um, in in me, but. But I, I think um, a lot about my, I have an aunt who was also my Sunday school teacher uh, mm-hmm. when I was young. And so um, so conversations, n- not only in a Sunday school class, but as she was preparing for that, you know, it was just kind of a, just a part of the rhythm of a weekend with Aunt Gail, you know, mm-hmm. um, because, because of that. So um, I ask you that because of this last story that we want to talk about, which is that uh, a study has come out this week that says most evangelicals came to faith in childhood. Mm-hmm. Which I think this is something maybe we already knew, but it was interesting to see the numbers and just how important it is to reach young people. Mm-hmm. More than 90% of the 59 million adult evangelicals in the U.S. said several factors motivated them to accept Christ as parents, but they were parents were number one. Mm-hmm. Um, also, along with churches, other family members, uh, individual Bible reading, and pastors. But 72% of those were saved before age 18. 72% of adult evangelicals were saved before they were adults. And only 4% of the respondents said that they had come to Christ in the last four years. Mm. And so it's we've said this for years, even in the SBC, about just that's why Vacation Bible School is such a big part of what we do and stuff. It's because reaching children is so important. Um, the influence of both parents was cited as the strongest factor in people's faith decisions. Um, also, they cited their church they attended uh, as another important factor and other family members. So very similar things to what we just ex- expressed, you know, things, these are the things that are important. Yeah. Parents are an enormous influence on their children is what the researchers said. Yeah. Yeah. I have a friend who uh, posts regularly. Um, he's a youth pastor and he posts regular regularly. If your children can understand geometry, trigonometry, calculus, then they can understand Bible doctrines mm-hmm. and the gospel. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's very good. I like and it. And so, yeah, so I, I am motivated as a parent. Um, we, we just had an algebra one session on the couch last night to where I was, I was only the cheerleader for that, but, but I'm, <laughs> I, I'm reminded of that, that, that if our children can understand those things that, that we need to uh, not dismiss uh, Christian doctrine, and we need to be instilling that in them. And yes, they're smarter them. than we give them credit for usually. Yeah, yeah. But they, but not to be discouraged, they said that d- despite the low percentage of people saved in the last four years, 
16 million of the respondents were saved in adulthood. 16 million. And so it doesn't mean that if you don't reach a person before they're 18, that they're never going to accept Christ. Uh, of course, that happens too. So don't be discouraged about that. Yeah. Yeah. The Lord is faithful to carry the gospel forward. So yeah. our history moment for today, um, it is significant, but boy, it doesn't feel like it's old enough yet to be a history moment. Well, it is. It is. I know. You and I were both adults when it yeah. happened, but yet yeah. here we are. Okay. Yeah. So there were three stories in the week of the first week of February 2000, and they all have not similar headlines, but headlines with similar topics. Here's one headline. Internet classes, live streaming video of chapel begin at New Orleans Seminary. And then here's the second headline. New Orleans Seminary to broadcast chapel services live on internet. Mm -hmm. And then here's another one. Florida Baptist College debuts new virtual internet classroom so this is all in the same week in first week of february 2000 where mm -hmm. it is like boom we have the internet and we're going to start having classes seminary college classes on the internet yeah and you experienced this firsthand right i did yeah okay in, in some classes at new orleans it was toward the end of my mdiv and um, i was an extension center student in birmingham and a number of our hours had to be in New Orleans, but this gave the opportunity that uh, often that they would do that on Saturdays, um, that there were workshops that would happen sporadically, you know, where you would go for a week. But then there were some Saturday classes and, a, you know, three out of the five, you had to be in New Orleans, but two of them, you could you could be to the video campus was the way that they worked that out. And um, so I, I remember... I remember going to the video campus and watching those, but then I also remember being in the room and just how strange it was to think that there were people from other locations watching mm -hmm. with us while we were physically there, you know, in New Orleans and would have questions and interact. And the professor had to be mindful that there were students from other places, um, not, not just what was happening in the room. So, you know, on, on one hand, it, it things had been video recorded for a long time in, in sure. seminary classes, you know, and stuff like that. So it wasn't that big of a deal. It was the fact that, that the distance learning was the mm -hmm. big deal part of mm -hmm. it to which right now we don't think anything about hopping on a zoom or a team's call, you know, uh, all around the world. And we're distance, we're connected. We can see each other on our phones, all, all of that, but it was a big deal 24 yeah. years ago. <laughs> well, I didn't even know this, but the story says it, one of these stories that in November of 1999, the six seminary presidents at the time got together and adopted something called the Point Clear Accord. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was their consent to develop internet courses. Mm -hmm. And so this was the first, I guess New Orleans was maybe a groundbreaker a little bit, but all the seminaries before long, they were all doing it and yeah. uh, now continue, of course, to do it. And COVID made it even more of a thing where everybody offers online stuff. Now you have to. Mm -hmm. But it's just crazy how fast things change. It is. Because that was not that long ago. I mean, it was in some ways, but technologically, it was eons ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, technology is, things are moving quickly. They are changing yeah. quickly. So Yeah. But it was fun. I enjoyed, um, I enjoyed reading about the brand new internet mm -hmm. in 2000. Yeah. Yep. And it did stick around. It wasn't just a quick fat. It actually no, it it looks like it's going to make it, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I was uh, laughing that in 24 years from now, who's going to do whatever the equivalent of a podcast is then? I don't know. Um, talking about our primitive technology that we have now. Yeah. yeah. 
I don't know, maybe a hologram of a professor. So. Yeah. There'll be robots doing podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Jamie Dew will be beamed to a location right. near you. Yeah. Right. So. <laughs> well, thanks, Brandon. Uh, this was a fun one today. And we are, like we said, already getting ready for Indianapolis. So be watching for that next week as you register to, for, to be a messenger and get ready to join us there. And as always, you can find that and much more at baptistpress.com. Thanks for listening. 